Net Zero Business Podcast is brought to you in association with ED's Sustainable Business Covered Podcast and is the only place where corporate sustainability and energy professionals can get under the skin of the world's most ambitious emissions reduction targets. So welcome and enjoy the journey to a net zero future. And welcome along to ED's Net Zero Business Podcast, our spin-off podcast series focusing on the growing need for businesses to align their strategies with climate science by setting net zero emissions goals and strategies. I'm ED's senior reporter, Sarah George, and it's great to be bringing you this episode for June 2022. Since the UK government set its 2050 net zero target into law in the second half of 2019, many other countries have followed suit. Net Zero Tracker stated this week that more than 90% of global GDP is now covered by some kind of net zero target from a nation, subnational actor like a city or a region, or a corporation. So globally, more and more businesses are attempting to get ahead of the political curve by strengthening their carbon and energy strategies and targeting net zero operations and value chains. This series sees ED speaking with these trendsetters and trailblazers, the organisations that have set these targets, to get the insight on just how much work went into getting them up and running and how they are being delivered. In 35 minutes or less, each episode provides insight into an organisation's net zero approach, covering target setting, action on the ground, internal and external engagement and offsetting. We've had a range of different organisations guest speaking on this series since it launched back in 2020, including EY, EVERY, the Universities of Exeter and Staffordshire and the National Trust. And today we're shining a spotlight on the need for the finance sector to embrace and lead the net zero movement. Our guest for today is Karen Ermel, Director of Responsible Investing at Coots. Coots is often referred to as the Queen's Bank and it's the biggest private banking and wealth management company in the UK to be certified as a B Corp. Coots is part of NatWest Group and the group's overarching climate ambition is to reach net zero by 2050 and halve emissions by 2030 on the way there. These ambitions cover operational emissions and financed and managed emissions as Karen is on hand to explain. Notable commitments from the group include phasing out all coal financing globally by 2030. For big finance firms like NatWest Group, tackling emissions from financing activities is doubtless more challenging than decarbonising operations like their offices and their bank buildings. So it was great to travel to London to Coots headquarters to speak to Karen and find out more about exactly how that can work. Karen leaves it on climate action within Coots's asset management business, so her day job is all about the business's so-called managed emissions, so emissions from their investments, their digital service provision, and so on. So here is that interview with Karen in full. Yes, good morning, Karen. Thank you so much for welcoming me, welcoming me to the Coots office um, here in London. How how are we doing? Yeah, very good. Sun shining. Um, sad to be inside, but. <laughs> 
very happy to be here. You say inside, but the building looks very outside from the inside. There's a garden inside for the Queen's Jubilee, very green and, and sunny indoors even. Yeah, exactly. It's always nice to be in Garden Court and also in the pre-COVID days. You know, everyone was just sitting around, reading the paper, having a coffee. It's always a nice atmosphere to be there. Well, I'll make sure that I keep this brief and that you can enjoy a lunch break um, there. But thank you for being our guest speaker for Net Zero Business um, this month. We here at ED have spoken with Coots a few times, I think definitely at COP26 about B Corp. Um, but it'd be great to to start really with an introduction for yourself. I feel like this is the first time that we've interviewed um, you, so it'd be great to hear about yourself and your role as Director of Responsible in Investing. Yes, so I am the Climate Lead for Coots Asset Management, and Coots Asset Management sits within Coots, so we are a private bank and a wealth manager for high net worth and ultra high net worth clients. But at the same time, we are the center of expertise for the NetWest group. So we also manage all of the investments on behalf of the group. And that kind of puts us in a unique position where we serve some of the wealthiest people of British society. But at the same time, we're also able to be there for people throughout their whole life journey from when they open their first bank account to, for example, when they sell their business and pass on their wealth to the next generation. And we want to manage those investments in a responsible way. And I think important to mention for us is Coots is um, a purpose-led organization and is one of the largest B Corps in the UK. It's an accreditation we received in 2021 and we're very proud of it as it really embodies you know, who we are as a business, what we stand for. Mm. And how long have you been at the business? Um, so I've been here since 2018. Mm. Great, well it's good to catch up with you um, and apologies that it's taken since 2018 to get a face-to-face -face meeting in the diary. Um, I guess we're going to dive into Net Zero quite deeply in this episode and I wanted to get a feel on how that fits with how Coots defines responsible investing because responsible investing can mean a lot of things. There's been questions about is that um, environmentally, socially, economically, um, how does climate work with that? So yeah, to hear a little bit more about that approach as a scene setter would be really helpful. Yes, definitely. Um, yes, we call ourselves a responsible investor. Um, there's lots of different terms out there, so it's always good to talk about what that means for us. And for us, that really means that we look, when, we're, when we invest, we look at the wider picture. So you look at a company, a financial statement or a balance sheet doesn't tell the whole picture. For us, it's really about how, um, you know, when we look at a company, how it operates in its environment. So when we look at companies or funds, we look at the wider picture, how they function in their environment. So it's that double materiality. We'll look at how, we look at how, for example, the environment or society can impact the value of a company, but at the same time, also how a company can be uh, affected by climate change or climate change regulations coming in, for example. And that really helps us manage risks, so protect that downside, but also spot opportunities. And we do that through selecting funds and companies that we think are doing that well already. And at the same time, it's also working with companies and pushing them to be more ambitious and go on that transition journey. And for us, Responsible Investing, when we started that journey, it's really important that if we really believe that this is helping us get better outcomes, it can't just be an opt-in, opt-out. We can't just have one sustainability fund. We want it to be across everything we do. And we'll talk about net zero, 
that's also when we joined the Net Zero Asset Managers Initiative and made our initial in-scope assets under management commitment. Um, we set that at 89%, some of the highest I've seen um, across our peers. So it's all about that consistency uh, across everything we do. Mm. And we can dive into some of that collaboration and you've mentioned some of the selecting for funds and some of the engagements within funds um, as our discussion continues. But I think we should probably um, start with yeah the basics of the net zero targets and pathways for different parts of the business um, itself. As you've mentioned, it's a group that covers yeah commercial banking, um, banking for high net worth individuals and asset management among um, other things. So how did the group create suitable, ambitious net zero targets for different parts of that business? Yes, so I'll mostly focus on asset management because that's where I sit, but as a group, so as NetWest Group and as Coots, we, we share the ambition of net zero by 2050 and having our climate impact by 2030 and doing that in a science-based way. So NetWest Group signed up to SBTI, Science-Based Targets Initiative, um, and I think before going into those asset management targets, um, there's really different elements here. So NetWest Group Coots were banks. Um, so our scope one and two emissions, um, they're not insignificant, but they're relatively small. And those mostly come from our offices, business travel, the energy we use. And we're already net zero for a direct operational footprint, but our really our biggest impact is that scope three. Um, and that comes from, as you said, it can be from the emissions of the houses we provide mortgages for, that can be from the companies that we invest in, um, and that's really exponentially bigger. And that's also where that target setting approach and pathway approach is quite diff different. Um, and there's three different elements here. So as a, um, as a, a lender, for example, to companies, you can be quite selective in what you lend to. But the downside is you are tied up for longer. So for example, you can lend to a renewable energy company uh, project at an oil company, um, but you're kind of stuck if there's significant changes in the way we use oil, for example. Um, and there, you know, sector modeling of pathways can be you know, very important that can be quite tailored. For example, NatWest Group has a commitment of 100 billion of financing to climate and sustainable initiatives by the end of 2025. So that's one aspect. On the other side, you've got mortgages that we provide to, um, to our, our personal clients. And that's when you look at the property, the state it's in, and the potential it has. So you'll measure that using EPC. You'll set EPC targets, which we have, and what we already do, for example, is providing green mortgages to clients who are improving their EPC. But then when you get to asset management, different again, because you invest in a company, you invest in the whole thing. So you can't pick and choose what you're involved in, but you do have higher flexibility to change in and out. And in a sense, um, you are often exposed to the global economy. So we have exposure to almost all countries and all sectors. So in a sense, you have less control over those, what we call managed emissions, because um, they're produced by the whole economy. So within asset management, the way we set targets, um, and I'll go, we'll go in a bit more detail later, um, but we've already done a lot of work on reducing emissions within asset management and setting those targets. Um, so for example, we had a target 
of reducing the carbon intensity of our equities um, by 25% by the end of last year. Um, we did that, we actually achieved 38%, which we're quite proud of across everything. We then obviously have our halving emissions target by 2030. And also from the beginning of the year, we moved our online invest fund range to have a minimum allocation to um, investments that are already on a net zero trajectory. And to my knowledge, that makes us um, one of the first multi-asset funds that UK clients can, can buy that actually has a day one commitment, not just a target. That makes sense. And yeah, different parts of the financial sector, it's often hard to understand exactly where the emissions come from and how they can be um, tackled. And you mentioned that you have hooks in most sectors, all markets globally, everything from small housing developments to big multinational um, energy companies. So it'd be great to hear an outline of where these scope three, these managed emissions come from and how, if it is, as you say, a systemic economic link that they're in some cases generated by the whole economy how you can go about reducing them yeah um, when we talk about managed emissions so our scope three emissions as as coots it's the scope one two and three emissions of the companies that we invest in right so to put that really simply if i invest one percent of a company my managed emissions are one percent of that company's emissions and in order for Coots to be credibly net zero on all scopes, the companies that we invest in have to be net zero as well. And that's really where that difficulty of, of measuring those managed emissions comes from. So I know on, on a group level, NetWest Group's done a lot of work on measuring and modeling our scope three emissions. Um, and we're doing a lot of that work from an assets under management perspective as well. But that work is, is in many cases still underway. And that's an issue that we see with lot of the companies that scope three and even scope one and two is often not yet provided by the companies it's still in progress and then often data is also estimated by data providers so we're working with a lot of gaps and setting our targets measuring emissions um, while we're waiting for other people to do that work right so um, we still have that ultimate goal net zero halving emissions on all scopes um, but I think it's important for us when we look at our footprint and our impact is what are some other elements that we can use to see whether companies are reducing their emissions and are, are controlling their emissions. And some examples of that can be um, transparent disclosures, a good understanding of the climate risks that these companies face and how they think they can mitigate it. Um, and also, like Rob said in your previous podcast, it's it's not just we don't just want a sustainability strategy we want a strategy that incorporates sustainability and it's also the little things about sort of smaller things about how people are rewarded in the business how success is measured and that's the kind of data we look for and we want at the same time as emissions data mm. yeah obviously we we can't get anywhere without good good data um covering so much of this with things like TCFD mandate coming in in the UK, the SEC looking at this in the US, and then globally the launch of the International Sustainability Standards Board um, last year. So I feel like we could be here all day if we talked about um, disclosure um, and data. 
Um, I wanted to talk as well about how that data can be used to reduce managed emissions. You mentioned that different kinds of the business, you will have different opportunities to select who you'll invest in and for what length of, of time. And this is something that often comes up in discussions about net zero um, finance. People often ask, what is the mix of how you select assets, how you engage with companies? Um, and then if that doesn't prove fruitful, what happens in terms of divestment and, and exclusion. Um, so it'd be good to hear a little more about the company's work in selecting and engaging um, with the companies in which it, it invests or holds assets with. When we talk about the work that we do, the cornerstone of that is really what we like to call real-world impact. Right. So we measure success by real-world impact. And what that means for us is that we want to get the world closer to one and a half degrees not just the portfolios we manage or the funds we manage for our clients. Um, and I often say that when I speak to clients and they're, they're really passionate about the environment and they only want to invest in renewables. And you know, I tell them, we can do this, but only doing that gives you a beautiful green portfolio and it looks lovely, but if the world hasn't changed, they, that doesn't really mean much. So I do think that we are so much more likely to be successful if we can find ways of adapting our existing products and, and ways of living closer to net zero than only financing what's already there. So um, I think what we need to be successful is that 180 shift to a net zero world. And as humans, we, we tend to, to be, this an analogy I heard a while ago, we tend to be like a very large boat. It takes us a long time to turn. We can't just do that from, from one day to the other. And at the same time, there's always people who operate like tiny boats. They can, they're very agile, they can shift, and um, they can adapt really easily. And I think to be successful in our approach is to, do, to, to support both. So supporting those tiny boats and those trailblazers and the people who are innovating so they can go faster and they can show the direction that we're going in. So that's the investment in climate solutions, which is um, something that we do. Um, at the same time, it's doing that work to turn the big boat and get existing companies to turn. Because um, I think turning that boat is easier than make it sink and then build everything from scratch again. And at the same time, you want to keep everyone on board. So you bring in the just transition as well. If we, um, you know, if every oil company goes out of business today, there's a huge social impact as well with people who need to be relocated and reskilled into new new sex sectors. So that's really our approach. Those both levers together. And you talked about divestment. So there's a, for us, there's a red line of what we do not want to be involved in. So that's thermal coal, Arctic oil and gas, tar sands. At the same time, the other, everything else is engageable and focused on transition, but there is obviously an escalation plan if companies are not responsive to that, in, uh, to that engagement, then divestment becomes an option again. That makes sense, thank you. Um, and obviously in moving, as you say, the big boats um, and getting into systems change, and as you say, the need for, yeah, not just one nice looking portfolio, but a genuinely um, net zero world, it's important to use your ripple effect. Um, and you've mentioned how you can do that with, with, um, with the businesses you invest in, but obviously um, there is work to be done with the whole sector. 
um, as well. You've mentioned already that Coots is a member of the Net Zero Asset Managers um, Initiative and of Climate Action 100, to name but two initiatives. I know that NatWest as a whole is involved in other things like the Prince of Wales Financial Services Task Force on Net Zero. Um, so I'd like to hear, in your opinion, why collaboration is so important to turning that that boat around to achieving a proper net zero transition for finance? Collaboration is really the only way that we can be successful in net zero. I think as an industry, we need to shift from competition to collaboration because success can't happen in isolation. As I said, Coots having net zero investments, great from a marketing perspective, but we need the world to be um, net zero need to be the world the world needs to be aligned with one and a half degrees and that's why it's so important that we work with other people in the industry and we share knowledge and we share standards um, and there's different ways that we can do that so a lot of the work that we do is we push fund managers that we work with um, and we work together to understand what net zero looks like what a good standard is and we then work together to put up a united front um, in terms of what we expect from the companies that we invest in. And those two initiatives you mentioned, so the Net Zero Asset Managers Initiative, that's really a key part of how we work together with other asset managers to develop things such as toolkits or common standards. So we can agree together what is credibly net zero in this space. And when we engage with companies and we push them, how can we do that in a way that is effective um, and puts up a united front. So we want to be measuring things in the same way so we can def- determine success in the same way. So we're not all making slightly different statements and in the end mm-hmm. no one actually knows what's happening. Mm-hmm. And then, as I said, we want to be united front when we talk to companies. And that's where Climate Action 100 comes in. So that's a collaborative engagement initiative um, where in- institutional investors come together and they go into dialogue with companies. So rather than just us, Coots, managing 30 billion um, British pounds, um, going to big companies and saying what we want, we team up, we have trillions of assets that we represent, and we can talk to them and say, you know, you have, for example, a um, carbon intensity target for an oil company, actually, that means you can still increase your production of oil, etc. You need to set an absolute emissions reduction target in order to be more credible. So it's those kind of dialogue that we have. Um, at the same time, there's also the Climate Action 100 benchmark that is like setting a standard for those companies. So it's very clear on what we expect. And I do think that um, that perception has really changed with these initiatives maturing. Um, and I think there's a shift from companies seeing um, investors asking for this as, as being maybe a bit more contrarian to really seeing the opportunity of information sharing and working together so we can achieve, you know, we can support them in their, um, in their financial objectives and they can support us and the world in our ESG objectives. 
That makes sense. I mean, we're just coming to the end of AGM season, so I've heard a lot about Climate Action 100. And yeah, looking back at this AGM season and the one before, it's clear that, as you say, some of these things are maturing, the asks are getting um, clearer, and yeah, hopefully we can turn that boat around <laughs> sooner rather than later. I'm feeling very motivated that we can after speaking with you today, Karen. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. A big thank you once again to Karen for her time. And yeah, looking forward to speaking with Coots and to NatWest more broadly on Net Zero as the year progresses. NatWest is actually going to be participating in our online sustainable investment inspiration sessions on the 21st of July. Um, and I will give you some more information on that later on in this episode at the end. But for now, we've arrived at the Net Zero News in Brief part of this episode. This is the segment of the podcast where we pull out three major headlines from the global net zero conversation from recent weeks. Firstly, let's start with Net Zero Tracker's latest global stock take of targets, which was published on Monday, which was the 13th of June. The organisation revealed that net zero target setting is, quote unquote, reaching critical mass, with targets set by nations, regions and businesses now covering more than 90% of GDP for the first time ever. But the stock take also revealed a credibility gap. Most of these targets are not credible and they need interim targets to support them that are science-based as well as things like appropriate financing. Staying on the topic of net zero target setting credibility for our second story, the UN-backed Race to Zero campaign has updated its minimum membership criteria and its leadership practices. Notable changes include a need for all members to quote-unquote phase down and out all kinds of support for fossil fuels in a science-based way. Support covers financing, advisory services and lobbying and, yeah, other kinds of activities too. These new changes are likely to have a significant impact in the finance sector in particular. The Glasgow Financial Alliance for Net Zero, GFANS, is signed on to the Race to Zero and represents more than 40% of all global assets under management. Campaigners say that its approach at present is not in line with the Race to Zero's updated criteria. And last but by no means least, the International Energy Agency held its annual global conference on energy efficiency in Denmark earlier this month. At the conference, the agency published new research outlining how improved energy efficiency efforts could result in a third of the total global emissions reductions needed by 2050 to deliver a global net zero energy system. While the IEA's net zero scenario includes a 5% reduction in global final energy consumption in 2030 against 2018 baseline, the world is actually currently on track for an 18% increase. So the IEA is calling on governments to focus on delivery, not only as a means to meet climate goals, but as a way to improve social sustainability, especially amid the ongoing global gas price crisis. So with our Net Zero News in Brief wrapped up, that's about all we have time for on this episode. Thank you for tuning in and thanks once again to Karen for being our great guest speaker today. Before I sign off, I do want to invite you all to sign up for the event I mentioned earlier, the Sustainable Investment Inspiration Sessions on the afternoon of Thursday 21st of July. These sessions are free to attend and are taking place online on ED's Zoom platform from 12.30pm to 4pm UK time. All of the lineup is dedicated to mobilising and scaling finance that accelerates the just transition to a sustainable future. These sessions are kindly being sponsored by Inspired Energy, and we have a great lineup of speakers already confirmed, including NatWest's Head of Sustainable Finance, Rishi Madlani, Standard Charters Head of ESG, Maria Lombardo, 
and the We Mean Business Coalition's Deputy Director for Net Zero Finance, Jane Thorstup-Yag. See the full agenda and register to take part at ed.net, then click Events and then Climate Finance Week in the drop-down banner at the top. Once again, our URL is ed.net and you can register for this event by clicking Events and then Climate Finance Week 2022. I hope to see as many of you as possible virtually. Um, I'll be co-hosting those sessions and continuing the Net Zero Finance debate. But for this episode of the Net Zero Business Podcast, that really is all we have time for. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have, all past ED podcast episodes can be found on our SoundCloud, Apple, Google and Spotify. You can also subscribe to our podcast on any of these platforms to make sure you never miss a future episode. For today's episode, though, it's a goodbye from me and thank you once again for listening. Goodbye.